This episode is brought to you by Backblaze. Have all of your data safely and securely backed up in the cloud with Backblaze and have it available whenever you want it. Go to backblaze.com slash richdad and start your free no-risk trial. That's backblaze.com slash richdad. This is the Rich Dad Radio Show. The good news and bad news about money. Here's Robert Kiyosaki. Hello, hello, hello. This is Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, and today we have a very exciting program for you. We're going to go deeper into a subject versus being superficial. And the two most important subjects, I think, especially in this era of unlimited QE, where the Fed is going to buy everything, including junk bonds, which violates the Constitution of the Fed, and the Fed and the U.S. Treasury are now one. So in my opinion, the most important investment today are gold, silver, and Bitcoin or the crypto market. So we're not gonna get into those pissing matches that a lot of people get into, which one's better and all that stuff. So I have two guys that are experts in the field and we're gonna drill down and figure out what is best for you. But we're not gonna be superficial about it. So as many of you know is that I've always been bullish on gold and silver. I own a little Ethereum and something else, um, but that's about all I know. Whereas with gold and silver, I've started a silver mine and I've started a gold mine. And uh, I have no love for the Chinese Communist Party of China because when I struck gold, they took the, they took it. <laughs> a billion dollar gold mine. So anyway, I've been through the ringers. But today we have two very important guests. One is Brian Lundin, he's been a friend for years. And the reason Brian is a very important guest today is because he actually was a friend of a guy named Jim Blanchard. And for those of you who are too young to remember, back in 1933, President Roosevelt made it illegal for Americans to own gold. So I write about it in my book, Fake, uh, in 1972, I was flying in Vietnam and my rich dad wrote to me and he said, watch out, Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard, the world's gonna change. And I, and I, you know, I was a college graduate and all this stuff, flying for the Marine Corps, I didn't even know what gold was because it was illegal for Americans to own gold, if you could imagine that. And so, Brian Lundin is actually friends with Jim Blanchard. He's gonna go into that character because he had to go through hell to make gold legal again. So in 1973, I bought my first one ounce, not was a one ounce, but I bought a Krukeran, and I had to smuggle it into the US as a criminal because in 1973, it was illegal for Americans to own gold. Imagine that. And our other guest is Anthony. We call him the Pomp, you know, he's a very popular show huge following, and he is one of the thought leaders on the area of cryptocurrency, especially Bitcoin, but Anthony also owns gold. So we're gonna go deeper into the subjects of gold, silver, and Bitcoin. Why they're the most important, I don't call them assets, I I don't call them investments, I call them insurance plans right now. And it's insurance against the incompetence of the Fed and the treasury. They're printing trillions of dollars. And if you're saving dollars, you might be in serious trouble. So gentlemen, uh, welcome to the program. Uh, Brian and Anthony, we just gotta give a one 
one minute brief overview, then we'll start drilling down. So we'll start with Brian first. Give us a little where you're from and all this and how you got into gold. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you, Robert. Great to be with you again. I got into gold because I answered a ad for a junior copywriter for Jim Blanchard's Coin and Bullion Company in 1985 and then got to know Jim. And I was kind of a libertarian at heart, but I never really you know, formalized that idea and, and, and everything else, but met Jim and just became fast friends with him. I was you know, at the bottom of the totem pole, Jim was at the top, but we became very good friends and learned more about the sector over the years and, uh, and what it represents uh, and have been writing about gold, uh, have been writing it ever since. I say, and where do you live right now? I uh, live right outside of New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, that's where Jim Blanchard was located back in the old days. And of course, he started what became the New Orleans Investment Conference. We still do that. And uh, so I live in Metairie, just a stone's throw outside of New Orleans. No laugh. Okay, thank you. And Anthony, a little bit of your background and how you came across into this world. For sure. Anthony Pompliano, I ended up doing a whole bunch of stuff, was in the military for a while, uh, built and sold two technology companies and worked at uh, both Facebook and Snapchat. And then um, I've been investing full time since uh, really beginning of 2016 and came across Bitcoin specifically uh, around mining. So if you think of Bitcoin as a computer network, it is the strongest computer network in the world. And uh, I really became fascinated with the idea of having a programmatic monetary policy and one that can't be influenced or, or manipulated by anyone. And so um, as I kind of dug deeper into uh, what Bitcoin was, how it worked, what the uh, major differences were between it and other currencies in the world, uh, it just became very obvious to me that uh, not only one does it have a lot of the same sound money principles that gold has, um, there's also some uh, digital components to it. Uh, that, that make it attractive. And so um, I've really spent you know, the last number of years um, trying to, you know, one, educate people, but also to, um, you know, elaborate on a number of the macro issues at play that I think are, are starting to really kind of come to the forefront uh, right now. And as you called it, you know, I think gold and Bitcoin both are, uh, are insurance to some degree. And so uh, just doing my part, I guess, to, uh, to help people see that. Correct. And this is the big part about it. The reason I endorse gold and silver and cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin is they're outside the system. You know, it's outside the Fed and the Treasury. And the average person has no idea what I just said. You know, they don't know that they don't want they don't know what the Fed is or the Treasury. So going back to Brian, how does gold not get sucked into the sucking sound called printing trillions of dollars and destroying the US dollar? How does how do gold and silver kind of avoid that trap? Well, it's gold and silver have been around, well, since recorded and even pre-recorded time, 4,000, 5,000 years, whatever. It's been currency, it's been money. And it was money before paper money was invented. But the whole idea of, of money that is immutable and can't be inflated away goes back uh, even when there were gold and silver standards, the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans, et cetera. And people tend to look back and say that we're different from those people, those guys back then. We really, we're really not. Human nature has never changed. And human nature is such that in governments, uh, governments will overspend, uh, you know, through 
wars or entitlements or just bread and circuses, they're going to overspend and they're going to run up debts and deficits. And throughout human history, it's happened over and over again that governments have overspent and they had to debase the currency. Back when gold and silver were the currencies, they would do things, they would um, they would use alloys, cheapen the, the actual gold and silver in the coins, which is the same these days as printing more paper currency. You're creating more currency out of the base. So what Brian was talking about in 1964, I was like 15 years old. And I looked at my silver quarter, my silver half dollar, and they had a copper tinge to the thing. And at that moment, I kind of smelled a rat. Do you know what I mean? It was, and what was that era? What was happening? Why did our silver coin suddenly turn to a copper tinge, Brian? Because the value of the silver exceeded the value of the coin. So it, when that happens, you lose, the government loses money with every coin it produces, and they can't make that up on volume. So that's what's happened throughout history, that uh, the currency has been debased. They, they start printing more and more of the currency, and the value of gold and silver stays the same, and the value of the currency falls against it. I could be inaccurate, but when I saw the word debase, did that mean they added base metals to it, like copper or nickel to silver? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if that's the actual origin of the word, but that's what essentially happened. They added zinc and copper and nickel to the, uh, the coins and took the silver completely out. And what's interesting is if you look back in time and when the Roman Empire crashed, the value of the silver denarius, which was a Roman coin at the time, over about 50 years, it lost about 80% of its value. Right. Looking back to that date in 1964, the purchasing power of the dollar has lost about 80% of its value, actually 87% of its value, according to the government itself. Thank you. So Anthony, what are your thoughts around Bitcoin staying outside the Fed and the Treasury? And why why is that important to you? Yeah, I think there's two key components to, uh, to Bitcoin, especially for a conversation like this. The first is uh, it's decentralized. And what that basically means is um, there's nobody who is the known creator uh, it was created by a pseudonymous person. Um, and then also, uh, there's no way to shut it down. And what I mean by shut it down is if you think of uh, networks around the world or, or computer services, digital services, usually what ends up happening is if the government in any country doesn't like it, they go to the headquarters of that company or they go find the founder and they say, hey, you've got to shut this down or we will jail you, fine you, et cetera. Well, with Bitcoin, the entire network is run through, uh, in an overgeneralized manner, a bunch of computers around the world. So literally millions of computers in every geography in the world are all pointing at this network and they're supporting it. And so even if one country was to go shut down every single computer in their country, you would need global coordination to shut the whole thing down. And we just don't think that will happen. And so when you get this decentralization, what it does is it leads to a very high level of resiliency, right? It's very anti-fragile. And what that decentralization also does is it keeps you outside of the system, meaning that nobody can manipulate the monetary policy, nobody can influence it, nobody can change the preset uh, artificial cap um, in terms of the number of supply, et cetera, which we believe is going to be really, really valuable over time. The other advantage that Bitcoin has um, is that it's very uh, verifiable, 
right, in both its scarcity and its monetary policy. So if you think right now, you know, an exercise I've been running the last couple of days is I ask people, what's the Fed's balance sheet? And it's literally changing so quickly that people almost always answer incorrectly, right? We were at $4 trillion six weeks ago. Now we're at over $6 trillion, and we're literally printing hundreds of billions of dollars a week. But people don't actually know how much is being printed and, and how large the balance sheet is uh, other than once a week they get an update or they can check periodically. With Bitcoin, what ends up happening is I can tell you to the absolute Bitcoin how many were created today, where they all are, uh, and also I can explain to you uh, what the circulating supply is and how many more will be created or introduced into the supply at what time periods in the future. So it's not only understanding um, kind of structurally how the monetary policy works, but also having foresight or insight into what the monetary policy is in the future, which then gives confidence to people to know, hey, I know what the monetary policy decisions are in the future, and they can't be manipulated or changed. And therefore, I can go ahead and put my confidence in something that um, has that decentralized nature to it. Yeah, that, that's the key word is confidence. Brian, how, how are gold and silver confidence? I mean, to you, what's your point of view on that? Well, again, you look at the track record, um, 4,000 years of protecting wealth through through times, through the, through the inevitable uh, debasement and destruction of paper money. It happens every time. It happens in every civilization throughout human history. It's going to happen. It's happening right now. And what we're seeing in, in this last crisis, this COVID crisis, and these, this tremendous policy response is that the value of the dollar is going to be depreciated away even more quickly than any of us expected. You know, we, we talk about what's going to happen over the next five years. Well, you know, it's all happened over the, over essentially five days as far as monetary policy and everything's going into fast forward. It's gone into turbo. Um, and this destruction of the, of the dollar is, is going much more quickly than we, we thought it would. And that's what makes gold and silver and, and Bitcoin and these kinds of alternative currencies, alternative money rather, so important right now. And so one thing, ladies and gentlemen, the reason I support gold, silver, Bitcoin, I support anything that's outside the system. You know, have, have you noticed I'm kind of a rebel in that way, but it took me going to Vietnam to kind of wake up, you know, that we're being lied to by our own government. So when we come back with Bitcoin, I want to talk to, um, the key thing here is that anybody who is in either gold, silver, or Bitcoin, we're basically rebels. You know, we refuse to have a muzzle put on us and let alone like a dog on the street with social distancing. And I think that's really the key component there. The reason I like gold and silver is I don't trust my government. That's plain and simple it. And so that's why once I understood it as little as I do about Bitcoin or Ethereum, it's open source. It means the Fed cannot mess with it, nor can the Treasury, nor can a politician. And that's kind of why I endorse both products. So we come back, I wanna go into more the rebel aspect, and I'm gonna ask Brian to talk about what a rebel uh, uh, Blanchard was and what he had to do to take on the whole government of the United States to make gold legal. And so then, you know, Anthony, you can, you can see the fight that guys like us have had to get back to sanity when it comes to our money because people wanted us to just do as I told and accept what they give us, you know, and save money. And that's why lesson number one in Rich Dad Poor Dad is rich don't work for money. 
And I've always said savers are losers. Why would you save something they're printing? It makes no sense to me. When we come back, we're going more into kind of the rubble aspect of gold, silver, and Bitcoin. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Robert Kiyosaki, The Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. We broadcast from Old Town, Scottsdale, Arizona, where it's either heaven or hell, and it's heaven, but there's nobody out. <laughs> They're all social distancing. You can listen to The Rich Dad Radio uh, program anytime, anywhere on iTunes, Android, and YouTube, and please leave a review when you listen. And all of our programs are archived at Rich Dad Radio. We archive them because repetition is how we learn. If you'll listen to this program one more time, you'll hear twice as much as it did the first time. But more importantly, listen to it with friends and family members and business associates and discuss it. Because we're really talking about why savers are losers and why you shouldn't work for money. It's so, I caught so much hell from this, I don't know, 22 years ago. Because anyway, because I just don't trust my government. I don't trust the Fed, I don't trust the Treasury, and I don't trust Wall Street. I'm not saying they're bad people. I just don't trust them. You know, I don't trust my mother-in-law. You know, I mean, I do. But it's just people you just don't trust. So that's really the big thing. And and I'm I'm looking for, in this time, day, and age. I want something I can trust, and have confidence that'll be there, and it's going to protect me from the insanity in the world today. So Brian, uh, again, and then we have Pomp. We talk about the. I think the nature of gold and silver and Bitcoin is the guys that hold it are basically rebels. I mean, it's like, hey, don't you tell me what to do. Don't tell me to save money, you know, while you're printing trillions of it. Don't tell me to be a good boy and do as I'm told. So I would like to have um, Brian explain what it was like for Blanchard, Jim Blanchard, to be to take on the whole U.S. government to get gold illegal. And once again, it was President uh, Roosevelt in 1933, who made it illegal for Americans to own gold. So what did Blanchard have to go through, Brian? Well, Jim was a, a rebel like you. He he did trust the government, though. He trusted the government to devalue the dollar and destroy <laughs> the currency because he knew it happened over and over again throughout human history. It's going to happen again. And what happened was on the day in the summer of 1971, when Nixon announced that we were basically cutting the last tie to gold in that it was illegal for American citizens to own gold, but other governments could send the United States Treasury dollar bills and get gold back. And they realized that if all the guns and butter spending uh, that the government was doing, that the U.S. government was doing, that the dollar was being devalued and there were too many dollars floating around out there. So they started sending their dollars back over here and taking all of our gold out of Fort Knox. So, so, that, so France France was a big one of that. They, 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 yeah. they said, you know, take your cheap dollars back and we want the real stuff, we want gold. It was the, the damn French again. They decided <laughs> that was a good trade and they started sending them over and that kind of forced Nixon's hand. But Jim Blanchard knew what was going to happen at that point in time. He was just a school teacher here in New Orleans and he decided at that point in time he was going to lobby to return the right of ownership, gold ownership, to American citizens. What year, what was, year was what year was this? 1971. Okay. So that day he started Gold Newsletter as this newsletter he typed out over his kitchen table and mailed it out to Congress and senators and everybody else and lobbied for the return of of uh, the right of gold ownership. It was illegal for you to own gold, just like it would have been heroin or plutonium or anything or something on, uh, along those lines. 
Um, and he's a, he was a crazy character. You would have loved him. Uh, he, he started protests. He smuggled in a two ounce bar of gold from Canada and he went from city to city and, uh, held press conferences and he would send out notices, uh, to the local, uh, IRS and FBI and ATF and all the other local the government in each city saying, I'm going to be at this point in time. We're going to have the cameras rolling and I'm going to brandish my, uh, gold that I smuggled in from from Canada, and implicit was that, and that was please come arrest me. Uh, and they never took him up on his invitation. They were smarter than that. But he did that around the country. He had held protests on the Capitol steps. When Nixon was inaugurated for his second term, he hired a biplane to to tow a banner saying "Legalize Gold" over the inauguration ceremony. Uh, until the jets were scrambled to to scare it away. And you can imagine what would happen today if you tried that. Uh, but he was a crazy guy. Let me tell you, Robert, you would have loved him. He, he so charismatic. And I think it was his charisma that lar- largely carried the day. He swung people over to his side. Uh, and the last day of 1974, they signed the law into, uh, signed a law that returned the right of gold legalization to American citizens. And of course, the whole goal was if they're going to debase the currency, if they're going to create all this inflation, then give people at least the right to own gold to protect themselves from what was coming, um, which they did. And it's been a long and storied history since then. So it was but Gerald think, Ford, right? Who Gerald yeah, Ford who legalized it. Yeah, it was the last uh, day, December 31st, 1974, the, the uh, law went into effect. And what happened right after that? Well, uh, what had happened is actually the price of gold crashed because <laughs> in the in the run up to the it being legalized, it, you know, once again the damn French and the Europeans, where it was legal to own gold, they bought up the gold market and drove the price from uh, basically around thirty five dollars to over two hundred dollars. And then when the Americans could come in and buy it, they dumped it all and left them holding the bag. And, uh, but Jim warned of that as well. He actually started his investment conferences to, to teach people about what was going to happen. So the price crashed, it, it bottomed again in September of 1976 at a, a little over $100 an ounce. And uh, then from that low point, it went over eight times over and uh, peaked at $850 in January of 1980. I see, good. So, Anthony, would you give us a story of, you know, this it's supposedly some Japanese guy, right, Satoshi or something like that? And what what is the what is the historical lineage? In 2009, I think Bitcoin came out, right? So, what was the historical lineage of the creation of Bitcoin? Yeah. So, in 2008, a individual or a group of people uh, operating under the name of Satoshi Nakamoto created the Bitcoin white paper. And it was basically a nine page document that outlines um, electronic cash, right? Peer to peer electronic cash. And it talks about what it is, uh, why it's important, how it works, um, and kind of all the things that you would need to know about a new technical system. Um, And it's written in uh, relatively easy to understand language. I highly suggest anyone go and read that. Uh, original Bitcoin white paper. And then in January 3rd, uh, 2009, 
um, Bitcoin, uh, the network was launched. And, and basically the marketing that was done for this uh, w- was very kind of organic in that Satoshi Nakamoto sent an email to a list of uh, cryptographers, right? Kind of these cypherpunks, if you will. So kind of going with the rebel theme. And uh, what they basically said was, look, if this could grow and gain adoption, uh, it could be very powerful, right? And if you go back and you can read a lot of their original communication around this time, there was um, a number of people who had incredible foresight to uh, realize Uh, hey, if we could get adoption and get that decentralization, right? The more people that participate in the network, the more resilient this is, there is a separation of state and money. And that could be a really big idea um, if that idea's time has come. And and so uh, Satoshi Nakamoto over uh, the next couple of years uh, continued to uh, work on Bitcoin, uh, communicate with people, and then eventually uh, essentially stepped aside and, and disappeared. And what a lot of people believe is that Satoshi Nakamoto is not the real name of the creator. Uh, instead, it was a, a, a pseudonym, um, if you will. And what they were basically really trying to do is protect themselves, right? Kind of the, the most selfless act is for the creator not to take the credit. And, um, and so I think Bitcoin specifically, uh, you'll hear a lot of times people talk about like the Bitcoin ethos, right? I think a lot of gold investors and, and folks who believe in sound money have a very specific set of beliefs, uh, both about the existing system, but also about why they have the assets that they have. I think Bitcoin kind of follows that same trend as well. So when did it, when did it kind of first go up? When was it open for investing? That's my question now. Yeah. So the the beauty in the beginning was uh, January 3rd, 2009 was when the Bitcoin network kind of went live. And in the beginning, uh, the only way to acquire Bitcoin was you had to mine it. Right. And and the way that mining essentially works is you have to contribute computing power to the network. You have to run the network. And in exchange for running the network, you get a portion of Bitcoin back um, on a daily or, or, uh, or more frequent basis. And so in order to incentivize kind of more people participating in the network, they earn Bitcoin. And so the very first people couldn't go to an exchange. They couldn't go to their friend and buy any. They actually had to work right, or contribute power uh, in order to earn it. Now, over time, there's been a lot of infrastructure built around Bitcoin, everything from uh, cryptocurrency exchanges to um, things like GBTC, which is a trust that's publicly traded, um, you know, and, and other products. But I, I think that part of the value in, again, instilling the confidence in something like Bitcoin, this new idea, was having a very organic kind of creation and original adoption that wasn't you know, thrown about all in the media and stuff. It was many years before anyone had even written about Bitcoin. And so it allowed for a number of years people to buy into the narrative, to understand how it technically worked and to start holding an asset that um, eventually now has grown into, you know, hundred plus billion dollar market cap. So Brian, what was it like, you know, back in the dark ages when gold was kind of in the same phase Bitcoin is now, if you don't understand what I'm saying, it was adoption. And uh, I remember talking to my friends about gold and silver and they thought I had a, you know, cone hit or something. They said, why are you doing that? But I understood that you can't, and I, you know, I said in 64, prior to 64, I saw the transition from silver to copper in the coins. And that's called Gresham's law, right? What, what, what is Gresham's law? Uh, is bad money draws out good. In that if you have two competing currencies, 
let's say gold in the dollar, then people are going to use the dollar and they're going to hoard their gold and not put it into circulation. So what you're saying is, and actually this is how Jim Blanchard started his uh, financial empire, as it were, his coin and bullion business. Even as a school teacher, he would take the real uh, silver coins he would get in change and keep those. Um, and he would keep turning in the, the cupro nickel, the copper nickel coins until he got some silver ones back. And that was an amazing time. You can make a good bit of money there if you had confidence in what was going to happen five or six years later. So, yeah, that money disappeared from circulation. If you were smart, you grabbed them. Yeah. So Gresham's law was I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. I'm in, I'm in high school and I look at this little copper tinge and I used to go down to the bank with my dollar and I'd buy dimes or I'd buy quarters. And then I'd look for that copper tinge and I'd give it back to the bank. But I kept the ones without the copper tinge. So that's Gresham's law, right, Brian? That's correct. One of the few times you could make money off of the government. <laughs> so what's your, Anthony, what, what is your thing about Gresham's law and Bitcoin? What do you, what is your, I mean, guys, you guys in your world ever think about that or talk about it or? Cause that's really what's happening. You guys are going into hiding, right? Yeah. I think there's two pieces to this. So the first is, um, you know, Bitcoin is the most popular cryptocurrency. And, and the reason why that's important is um, it's all about confidence, right? Money is a belief system. And, and the more people that buy into the belief system, the stronger that the value of it is. And, and obviously uh, there are now 2000, 3000 other cryptocurrencies. And I always kind of make a point to ensure people understand that Bitcoin, in my opinion, is the most important one. Uh, it's the most popular and, and has kind of all of the things that you want in um, sound money or sound currency. The other piece of this is um, a lot of people ask me, like, how do I think about Bitcoin um, in terms of my wealth, right? And, and my financial portfolio. And I think people are surprised when I say, I look at converting US dollars to Bitcoin as literally protecting my wealth. And I think a lot of people in gold and silver think the same way, right? Is I'm rather than hold this asset that literally is going to be devalued, I want to convert it to something that has uh, protection based on the structure of the asset, right? And I think gold, silver, Bitcoin, et cetera, all have that. And so I, I think that there's a lot of similarities between Bitcoin and gold. Um, there's also some differences, but, but the similarities around sound money principles and providing that protection to people uh, is really important because I, I do believe that um, when you have that buy-in on the belief system and then you can't be inflated away or manipulated by um, a central bank, you know, it provides certain protections that can create a lot of wealth or protect the wealth that you already have. Right. So once again, the, the law is called Gresham's law. If you can imagine me as a little high school kid walking up to the bank, uh, you know, and just saying, here's, here's $5 or $10. And I was looking for real money, not fake money and giving the fake money, the coins with the copper tinge back. And that's why I always chuckle when I talk and let talk to Bitcoin guys, because I think the principle is the same. You just don't trust the fake money. And the money became, the dollar became fake in 1971. So we come back, I generally would take over from here, but I want to ask both of you gentlemen, how do you guys invest? What would you recommend investing either gold, silver, or cryptocurrencies? What are, what are the things you got to watch out for? Because as you know, when there's money to be had, the flakes come out. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Once again, listen to the Rich Dad Radio program anytime, anywhere on iTunes or Android and YouTube. And please leave a review with us when you listen. And all of our programs are archived at richdadradio.com. We do that because we're an education company. We don't sell anything except for educational products like books and games and things like this. But very important here, if you have friends, family, and business associates, please watch this video, especially have somebody who believes in working hard for money and saving money because they're violating Gresham's law. So it's a very important program. So our guest today are Anthony Pompiliano. He's pop. He's, I love your program. I mean, you have a great guest. And it's just, I think YouTube is the best educational site going right now. And then we have my friend, Brian Lundin, and Brian hosts the New Orleans Investment Conference where I show up every so often. And uh, we're talking about why gold, silver, and crypto like Bitcoin are important for your portfolio. And for me, they're not investments, they're insurance policies. Because as you know, right now, both the Fed and tre Treasury went criminal. You know, they're buying anything. They're, they're even gonna buy junk bonds now. That means they're going to print money like we've never printed in the history of the world. So if you're saving money and you're working for money, you're obsolete. Your brain is dead. You need to start thinking. So I'm going to start with Brian first, and I'm going to ask you about two things. One is how you buy physical gold and what to watch out for. But also, you know, guys like you, always into the junior, I mean, the mining companies. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do well in the mining business. I started a mine in Argentina, a silver mine, and a gold mine in China. I still have the silver mine, but the Chinese helped themselves to my gold mine. <laughs> so I don't have much love for the CCP. Chinese people are great. The Communist Party, I don't trust. So first of all, Brian, would you mind talking about how you would recommend investing in gold and silver, physical, not the paper, but also mining companies? Absolutely. There, there's a lot of ways to invest in gold and silver and people get confused, but very simply, you're right. They need insurance. They need physical metals, silver, gold, primarily in their possession or accessible, not in a bank vault, not in a safe deposit box, because one of the things you're insuring against is a bank holiday. So you can get these coins uh, through bullion dealers. Don't buy uh, collectible proof coins. Don't uh, fall for a lot of scams out there, like trying to get proof coins in your IRA and things like that. Buy simple gold bullion coins, American gold eagles. You can do old silver coins. They call them junk coins in the coin uh, trade or a great way to do it because they're small, easily divisible. You can check prices online, find a dealer you can deal with regularly and someone you can trust. Um, and somebody that's been in business for a long time, somebody that's been a member of the Professional Numismatist Guild, and don't get into collecting rare coins and, and falling for those pitches. It's a wonderful thing, you can make money at it, it's a great hobby, but unless you're gonna devote a lot of time to it, just buy the strict, very popular gold and silver bullion coins. Yeah, generally I, I, I'm only into gold and silver eagles because they're just more exchangeable. I pay more for them. Right. But yeah. I also have, you know, pandas and Aussies and all this Canadians. But the, the most important thing is the numismatic, which is the collectibles. The, if, you're, uh, if you're into collectible coins, it's good. Antique, basically what they are. But if you don't know anything about it, stay out of it, right? 
Yeah, you can make a lot of money in that, but you have to do it as a hobby to to really learn about it. Right. And then what about mining shares? Well, if you believe that gold and silver are going up for these kind of inevitable trends that we were talking about, uh, then first you get your bullion as insurance. But if you want to play that trend to get some leverage, get some torque in your investment, something that might be going up four or five times more than gold itself, then you can get into mining stocks. You can buy the big indices, GDX, GDXJ for the big mining stocks. But when you get into the junior exploration and development companies, yeah, that's that's more of a casino. Yeah, I know, that's I know what you're talking about. You've lived it. You've lived it. Uh, but there are inefficiencies in that market. So if you can go to conferences, you can subscribe to some newsletters, you can learn about it, meet the companies, uh, then you can exploit those inefficiencies and find out what are some of the companies that can do. And, and you, you have a you have a gold newsletter, right? Yeah, we do. Gold Newsletter. Jim Blanchard started it. We're in our 50th year. You go to goldnewsletter.com. And if you do goldnewsletter.com forward slash rich dad, you can get some special deals that we offer uh, your listeners. Uh, again, we're an education company. We don't sell or make commissions on any of this stuff. We just want you to be smart and safe, especially in today's Corona crisis. <laughs> so a Anthony, what would you say? How do people get into, let's say crypto or specifically Bitcoin? Cause I'm, I'm so technologically handicapped that my brain gives out on me. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think that's one of the big things, right? Is uh, it sounds really scary. Hey, how am I going to go buy Bitcoin? Cause um, you know, wh whether people like it or not uh, ordering physical gold or silver and it shows up in the mail at your house um, j just seems much easier. Right. And, and with this, you're going to have to go on to uh, one of the cryptocurrency exchanges, uh, mainly uh, either um, Coinbase or Gemini are two of the more popular ones uh, in the United States. And uh, then you can go ahead and uh, sign up for an account and then buy Bitcoin there. Uh, important to buy Bitcoin, not Bitcoin Cash or any of the other names that use Bitcoin. What's the, the difference? What's, what's the difference? Because that's, I tell you, well, that's what kind of bugs me because there's, you know, there's so many Bitcoins now. Well, there's only one Bitcoin. The rest of them are scams, right? And, and similar to the gold and silver markets where you get kind of the real thing and then you get a bunch of the scams. Um, again, when, when there's value being created, all the scammers show up to try to, you know, distract people from that value. And, and so I think that, you know, making sure you buy Bitcoin and Bitcoin only uh, is important. Um, and, and then the other thing that you can do is if you want to uh, avoid using those um, cryptocurrency exchanges, you can buy something like uh, GBTC. So GBTC is a publicly traded trust. Uh, you can put it in your IRA or something like that. Um, you don't actually take possession of the Bitcoin, um, you know, and, and kind of all of the security that comes with that. You're just owning a stock like you would, um, you know, a, um, a gold ETF or something like that, uh, but it's just Bitcoin underlying it. And so those are the main two ways I think people get exposure right now. Quick question. How many different cryptos are there now? Well, there's like over 3,000 of them um, in terms of all the different projects. But, uh, but it, to kind of put it in perspective, um, the entire crypto market uh, on a market cap basis, Bitcoin is somewhere around 65% of it by itself. Okay. So it, it's, you know, kind of by far the most dominant. And then the other 2,999 or whatever it is make up the, the remainder of the market cap. So my last question to you is when I first looked into Bitcoin, this company called Silk Road popped up. What do you know about Silk Road? 
Well, now we all know everything about Silk Road, um, <laughs> given that there's uh, there's a number of books written about it. But uh, but Silk Road was basically think of it as a uh, an eBay for uh, the dark market, right, or, or kind of the illegal market. Um, and, and it's actually a really important part of the story, right? right. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because um, you know as we've invested in technology, one of the things you learn is that uh, the nefarious actors are always the first to use technology. So they're the first to use cell phones and beepers and Bitcoin and you know, all these other things. Uh, and it's because they're constantly pushing the pace of innovation or, or they're at the edge of innovation because uh, they're trying to evade the law. Right. So they're trying to find new technology. The law doesn't understand, et cetera. But then what ends up happening is it's kind of got this uh, U shape to adoption um, in that there's a bunch of nefarious actors in the beginning. Then you get kind of mainstream adoption and then it goes back up uh, on the other side, because if you think of the U.S. dollar, how much money laundering goes on with the dollar? Right. A lot. And so I I think that what ends up occurring is um, when you see the nefarious actors very early on adopting something like a Silk Road, what it shows is that there's value or there's demand. And then what you need to see is over time, those nefarious actors kind of get um, dissipated out or or overwhelmed by non-nefarious actors. And that's what we've seen with Bitcoin. Okay. So in closing, I want to thank you for the, you know, the wealth of knowledge and history you've gotten here or shared, but every guy, every person asks the same question. Okay. Today's April 20th, 2020. So Brian, do you have a number in your head for the price of gold and silver in a year? I mean, everybody asks, what do you think it's going to be? And I'm going, and I, I keep my mouth shut because you know, I don't know, but do you have a number for gold and silver per ounce? Well, I've always learned never to give a price and a date. And now you're asking for both of those. No, no, but, no. I'm just telling you today is April, 2020. Uh, so let's say we go out, you can go out as far as you like, but. I, I would, I would say in a year we'll be around 22, $2,300. I would think is a, is a fairly safe bet. It's a bet of course, but uh, I, I think that's an easy target for gold right now, given everything else. What about silver? Silver would probably, in that scenario, would be close to uh, $45, $50 an ounce. You see, and people keep asking me, why do you endorse silver? The reason is it's it's still 50% below its all-time high. And gold yeah, is pushing yeah. its all-time high. It, it moves after gold. It moves for the same reasons as gold. If you believe gold is going up, if you, if you like gold, you should love silver because it's going to move further percentage-wise than gold. Right. You know, silver not that long ago was like 49 bucks and today is less than 20. Right. And gold all time highs. I, re- I could be wrong. I thought it was 19 and today it's 17. So I think, I think the run is actually going to be in silver if gold moves, right? That's correct. That's a, a good, a good analysis and good bet. I'm betting the same way actually. Yeah. That's the crystal ball. Right. So Mr. Pomp, What's the num- what are the numbers running through your brain as we talk? This is April twentieth, twenty twenty. What's the price of Bitcoin today? I, I will. Uh, I'm going to caveat my answer. So Bitcoin today is trading around seven thousand um, dollars. One of the things to understand about Bitcoin and gold, the difference is um, Bitcoin has much more volatility, right? Uh, Brian mentioned the uh, um, kind of how uh, stable gold has been for five thousand years, and it's done the job that people wanted it to do. And so in times of um, kind of economic chaos or these liquidity crisis like we saw, uh, gold only dropped 10 or 12%. It kind of did its job, right, in terms of retaining its value. Bitcoin dropped 50%, right, which is obviously very, very volatile. 
when the markets drop, that works against Bitcoin and works in gold's favor. I think when the market goes up, then that volatility helps Bitcoin, right? And, and um, for that reason, um, there's something called the Bitcoin halving that's coming up, which essentially is uh, today 1,800 Bitcoin a day are brought into the um, circulating supply in a very programmatic way. In May of this year, May 2020, that 1,800 Bitcoin is going to get cut in half to 900. So there will be this supply shock. Um, it would be similar to, let's say, 50% of gold miners going offline all at once, right? It's the way to think about it. And so that has historically caused a very rapid price appreciation. And so we've got a, a price target of about $100,000 by the end of December 2021. So about 18 wow. months away. Um, you know, you get a pretty significant uh, price appreciation due to that halving event that's going on, plus the macro backdrop. Oh, I got goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> look, look both, both Bitcoin and uh, and gold and silver, right? I think all, right. all three of them, um, th this is the setup that they want, where uh, the government is printing a lot of money, and those Trillion. have uh, have um, you know sound money principles. And so we'll see what happens. It's trillions. They're, they're really helping us all. Thank God. God bless the Fed and the Treasury. I want to thank you guys for your contribution, and it's been a very, very informative show. So thank you very much. Thank you, Robert. Thank, thank you, Pop. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. And thank you all for listening to the Rich Dad Radio Show. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.